Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1176, with guest Jeff Fritz. Recorded Tuesday, July 28th, 2015. And that, my friend, is how you skin a cat. <laughs> Not a squirrel? <laughs> You remember Mark Dunn, of course. Yeah, yeah. Everybody remembers him. For, well, maybe not everybody, but he was the first co-host of .NET Rocks. He was fond of Southern uh, phrases, you know? Like, you can't swing a cat around here without hitting a, a JavaScript framework or something like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be more fun than a June bug on a string. He'd yes. say that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, uh, let's start this show off with a better know framework borrowed from our friend Rachel Appel. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, Rachel always finds really crazy, cool, funny stuff on the web and posts it to her Facebook account. And I just happened to see it this day. Go to tinyurl.com slash JavaScript equals. Okay, so this is a chart when using two equal signs for JavaScript equality testing, right. some funky conversions take place. Oh, this is what, uh, what's his name did? The whole what was about these kinds of bizarre Oh, yeah, behaviors. that's right. That's right, yeah. So uh, essentially, we've got a, a grid, right? And on both the X and Y axis, we have something like 20-some-odd types or, you know, expressions or whatever. And when you use the equal sign... You know, what What makes them equal to each other? So just check this out. You got true, false, one, zero, negative one, true in quotes, false in quotes, one in quotes, zero in quotes, negative one in quotes, an empty quote, null, undefined, infinity, negative infinity. Nice. An empty array, uh, curly brackets, an empty function, uh, an empty array inside an empty array. Um, <laughs> this is a good one. Uh, bracket zero bracket, bracket one bracket, and non, not a number. Right. And the, the real fun ones start happening, you know, halfway down the list. Oh, they're all hilarious. Like, they it's are just, hilarious. You know, you would hope, I just like the idea that testing the, you know, testing itself for equality, like true equals true works out. Yeah. Where, you know, ar array equals array does not. Right. <laughs> not a number does not equal not a number. That's right. <laughs> negative infinity does equal negative infinity, however. Which is good. Yeah. You would hope. <laughs> well, you never know. You got to refer to really the chart. Know. 
in front uh, of the chart people. And it says at the end, moral of the story, always use three equals unless you have a good reason to use two. <laughs> <laughs> equals, equals, equals. More equals. Anyway. Make it even more equal. Thanks, Rachel. That that was uh, truly made my day, and I hope it makes yours, too. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off the show, 1158, the one we did with Justin James. We talked about nougat and chocolatey, box starter and vagrant. Oh, yeah. And this comment actually comes from Matt Rock, and another fellow I've had my eye on for actually doing a show, X of Microsoft, and doing always doing some cool things. He says, uh, this is an awesome show. I always love hearing how others are using Boxstarter and Chocolatey in their DevOps tool chain. This was especially great hearing them interweaved with Vagrant, another tool I love and that I've also contributed right. to. I find that taking on these tools can be particularly confusing to newcomers in the space. Sometimes it's difficult to tell where one tool ends and another begins since they all have a significant surface area that overlaps on one tool but might be a better fit for one provisioning use case while another fits better for others. Start adding in Chef or Puppet or Ansible to the mix and it's quite a bit of information overload. Do mm -hmm. I use Chef or Boxstarter? Wait, what about desired state configuration? Hmm. All things you can be using. There's way too many products in this space. I would love to hear more shows like this that help others learn the nuances of these tools and where it fits into one's own DevOps workflow. And here is another tool that I don't believe was ever discussed on the episode, Packer. Oh, yeah. And this is made by HashiCorp, the same folks that created Vagrant, which we talked about, and is aimed at creating base images for VMs. So getting your core OS configuration, sort of the main set of stuff you want in your VM. So now that your VM images can be source-controlled artifacts. And there's a write-up on it using with Boxstarter, which of course includes Chocolatey and Packer to create Windows images that one can consume with Vagrant. And that's on his blog, which is hurryupandwait.io. Love it. Brilliant. Yeah. Awesome. And if you ever want to talk more about how a Windows person is navigating this brave new world of DevOps Lego bricks, <laughs> which is a great subject, I'd love to talk to you guys. Well, we'd love to talk to you too, Matt. But yep. first, I'm going to send you a dot and rocks mug. Because I am. Yeah. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media sites. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you write a comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. Hey, you know, uh, I forgot to ask you what was new in your life because I know something, uh, a major event, a life event happened at your house recently. And I think you ought to tell us about it. <laughs> Are you talking about the 50th birthday party? Yeah. The wife turned 50. Yeah. But now. But you. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this goes back to when, you know, she's older than I am. Right. And definitely more mature, too. <laughs> uh, so she turned 40 before me, which is weird, you know, that that keeps happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so I wanted to throw a big party. So I did a logical thing. I just rented a pub. You know, it turns out if you buy the whole bar's worth for the night, you can have the pub. That's the 40th birthday party. Yeah, so it was her 40th birthday. Yeah. Brought in all her friends. We took over a pub. It comes with servers. It came with a band. You know, everything was set up. It was awesome. That's like, great. Minimum effort, maximum result, right? That's awesome. me. Yeah. Okay. So a couple years later, when I turned 40, which is the same time that you turned 40, she threw this amazing house party for me. Totally yeah. blindsided me. It was astonishing. It was great. And, and you were there. It was great fun. So for my in my thinking at that moment, I'm like, clearly, I need to up my game. <laughs> <laughs> so about a year ago, I said, all right, I got about a year. I should start planning and and just started kicking around different ideas and exploring stuff and eventually hired a party planner and spent several months 
building a serious party plan. It was more like a set. <laughs> uh, well, they, they ended up, I, you know, what I realized is once I hit the point where I had the party execution team, the catering team, the lighting team, the set team, the <laughs> acting team, and the liquor team, I had six teams for a party. All right. So tell us the theme. So the theme was Alice in Wonderland because in a lot of my wife's a remarkably normal person. She's less normal now after hanging around with me for 20 years, but <laughs> she started out quite normal. Uh, she was very much Alice. So it was easy to uh, get people to plug into that theme. And so some of the key bits of what we did is we didn't tell people it was actually going to be Alice in Wonderland, although if you look close, it was obvious. But all of the servers were actually actors that were playing different characters from the tea party. Wow. And their makeup evolved over the course of the evening. Interesting. So there, there was a, a, a lovely, brilliant girl who played the Dormouse. And so she started out, she's a, a pretty girl with an English accent, very proper like the Dormouse was, uh, serving. And then, you know, that she got a little bit of... A little crazy. Point, little pointy-eared. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then a little bit more nose. And she slowly turned into a mouse. And the March Hare appeared. And the White Rabbit appeared. And there was a bipolar guy who was both Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And tell us, who played the Mad Hatter? Uh, well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> So I came out uh, at the third act of the party, which was the true tea party where the black lights go on. And it turns out all of the desserts actually glow in the dark. <laughs> and uh, I remember we put some thought into this thing. So and, awesome. Uh, and I gave a little speech about uh, this strange and wondrous land that you could live in that sometimes filled with danger. And then, that anybody would actually live in it would have to be mad as a hatter, which I happened to be. And I had this cartoon hat, you know, the gigantic top right, hat right. That, that the Mad Hatter wears with the little card that says, you know, uh, 10 and 9 tenths on it. It barely fit on my head because hmm. my head's that big that even the cartoon <laughs> hat just barely went on my head. And I had these, I'd gotten made up for it too. And I had these enormous, bright, orange, fluffy eyebrows. And then oh, most people don't notice this, but if you get a good look at me, I barely have eyebrows at all. So <laughs> once I had monster super eyebrows, I was very excited to wave them around. So I spent the rest of the evening flapping my eyebrows. Ne you know, you never know what to expect at Richard's house. That's... <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I set the bar. A couple of years from now, she has to have one up me. Can I ask, what, what takes more planning, this party or Dev Intersection? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I actually had a bigger crew at the party, I think. Eh, there, there was about 15 or 20 people that executed on this party. We do dev intersection with maybe a dozen. Wow. But we only had to do the party for one night. All right. Well, we got to move on. Before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release dozens of new courses a month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything and everything on the Microsoft stack as well. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that uh, the voice you heard there was Jeff Fritz. He's a longtime web developer, systems architect, and survivor of the dot-com bust. He works as a program manager on the ASP.NET team with a focus on the NuGet package manager. Jeff has a long history of large-scale successful web application launches and is a Pluralsight author with several highly rated courses available on ASP.NET development. You can learn more from Jeff on his blogs at jeffreyfritz.com. 
blogs.msdn.com slash webdev, and on Twitter at C Sharp Fritz. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, it's good to be back, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, thank you. New get. You crossed yes. over. You, you've oh, done it. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> oh, I, with a little bit of a uh, little bit of help, a little bit of push, I grew my career, and yeah, I've uh, crossed over here, and um, I'm having a good time helping with NuGet and the ASP.NET team. I, it was one of your dreams, wasn't it, to work for the company? Just you know, I I wouldn't say dreams. It was uh, it was a career goal at one point. Sure, it was a strong desire, wasn't it? Uh, dream. Yeah, there you go. A strong, very strong desire as uh, things with the previous employer started to change. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving right along. Yes. So what are you doing on the NuGet team exactly? Oh, let me tell you. It, Carl, we are doing some really interesting stuff here. Um, when this uh, when this podcast is issued, we're, we've got some amazing new features, not just for ASP.NET developers, but the new universal Windows platform. We've got great support in there for building and developing packages, consuming packages too, that will um, make the, the package reference, the project management experience a whole lot easier. Um, the, the Windows, the Windows platform is significantly changing. We know this with Windows 10 and we've got capabilities in there now to build these packages so that they work across a variety of environments without getting, without getting deep into all the portable class library goo. We can build these in a way that our references are abstracted and they're now more forward compatible for us. And and these are just an add-on that we can put into our existing packages that we've already built today and enable them for the Windows platforms of tomorrow. Really neat stuff. Now, when you say Windows, Windows, Windows all the time, I'm really thinking, is there some chocolatey crossover here? No, no. This no? Is, this isn't chocolatey. This is for this is for the developers that are building NuGet packages to be consumed by other developers okay. when building Windows applications. So those apps that you want to put into the Windows Store or you want to be deployed into Windows 10, whether it's on the phone or on the desktop, you can use the same NuGet package to deploy to both. So you can use NuGet to deploy apps, is what you're saying. No, no. To I'm sorry. You can use NuGet to uh, deliver packages that your apps can consume. Okay. That'll go on both platforms. All right. Good. So thanks for allaying my confusion there. Um, so so it just sounds like there's new stuff in there for Universal Windows platform that uh, wasn't there before. That's right. And. It's just an add-on feature. These mm. aren't things that you're going to need to go and change existing packages to be able to support. You don't need to go and modify how you're currently supporting the .NET 4.5 framework and ASP.NET platforms. You just need to add on those features that you want to light up in the Windows 10 application environments. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Stackify fully integrates application performance management with error and log management in one platform. Capture performance issues as they happen without having to wait for them to reoccur. A cost-effective and lightweight agent provides you code-level insights 
Try Stackify now for free and get your copy of the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game once you activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to get your free game. Maybe we need to talk a bit about this environment because, I mean, Universal Apps has meant a lot of things along the way, it seems. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we, are we talking specifically what the Win 10 world does to Universal Apps and the development model? Yes, we are. This okay. is strictly a Windows 10 thing because we have these these new features and the crossover capability of Windows applications now that can run on multiple runtimes. We right. want to be able to, to build that application once and it works on phone and desktop or tablet. So when and in you that build- sense, this is what Universal Apps always been is this idea of PC, tablet, phone, common code base. Absolutely. And with these NuGet package architecture changes that we're introducing, it's not even an architecture change. I, I'm over, I'm overselling it. Mm-hmm. These additional framework references and capabilities that we're adding into NuGet, you can build and target those runtimes, those frameworks, with no additional changes to your existing package. So your package now automatic because they're not the same platforms. Like they're not all the same code base, really, right? You, you... That's right, but. A lot of people who are building um, common reusable libraries that they're delivering as NuGet packages, they're already targeting a PCL, a portable class library uh, runtime, right? They're hitting a bunch of different things. They may already be trying to hit uh, WinPhone 8.1 and Windows 8.1 so that they're in both of those stores with a common shared library. Well, in the Windows 10 world, we've made that even easier to target with new frameworks that that resolve better and easier and are forward compatible. It's a real good change that we've made here. Interesting. And it, and it well, it speaks to this idea that we were talking offline, Carl and I, mm. about this. Where I said, how much longer before Universal Apps starts to include Android and iOS and others? Because, you know, why wouldn't they? Yeah, he's not going to yeah. comment on that. He's a blue badge now. He's had the implants. He's <laughs> going to let that one go. I, yeah, I've got to let that one go. Just um, walk on by. Just nothing to see here. Whistling. Doo-dee-doo. There were some interesting, cool features that they showed about compiling iOS and Android at build. Yes. And it's, Wasn't that interesting? It was Certainly very was. interesting. One could speculate. One might speculate. <laughs> one might speculate. There's a path here. Yes. So, I mean, there's it's cool, a, a, the idea that NuGet... It, what does it mean for us as package builders then? What do we have to do to support these different platforms? Great question. So in order to support the new platforms, you can take your existing package that you've already been compiling for that portable class library, recompile it again with the new uh, the new targets in the portable class library so that it, it is a universal Windows uh, platform package right so it's it's tar- i'm sorry so it's a universal windows platform library hmm. targeting those uh those runtimes uh take your dlls that come out of it add them into your package with the appropriate dependencies noted in there and nuget can now consume and deploy those into windows 10 uh projects all right is there is there anything new if you're not on windows 10 if you're not on Windows 10, we've introduced the ability to um, reference packages with the project JSON structure that's already been available with ASP.NET 5. Now, when you use the project JSON 
format that ASP.NET 5 developed and started deploying a couple months ago in their betas, you now get this capability to do indirect or transient uh, package references. And this is a pretty cool thing that that always um, it solves a problem that always caused me to stumble when I would reference packages before. Mm. Um, you know, you guys know when you build a project and you include packages, we get that packages config file right. and it lists out all of your references, right? Yeah. But if you reference a package, like I'm going to, I'm going to pick on in hibernate. I really like in hibernate, but they have one reference in there and it's a collections uh, package that they depend on. So when I include in hibernate, there's a dependency on this collections package and that gets added into my packages config file in older versions of NuGet. So I've got two references in there. And when I need, when I need to update one of those packages, they kind of happen at the same at the same priority to mm. NuGet because it sees them as equals because they're both in packages config. But really, I don't care so much as a developer about the collections, the dependent package, because that's not what I'm directly using inside of my project. Mm. What project JSON lets me do is I can reference just and hibernate, and that collections package will be loaded and stored in the background, and I don't need to worry about it. It's not directly referenced inside of my project. Nice. Fantastic. Right mm. now, if I bring in another package that happens to reference that same collections package that and Hibernate was referencing, behind the scenes, the NuGet client will manage all of those references for me to oh, make sure nice. there aren't any collisions and that they line up and everything's compatible. Oh, it's 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 a big improvement that I'm really glad we're getting out. So does this save you from the problem where you know in Visual Studio 2012 you pull up or 2013 you pull up a um, a, a project and all the NuGet packages are out of sync and nothing compiles and you have to enable what is it what is the thing you have to do there enable so the in NuGet update. Yeah, in older versions of Visual Studio 2012, 2010, there was an enable NuGet update command that you could uh, light up on the context menu in Solution Explorer. In Starting in Visual Studio 2013 and in 2015, we, we push people away from doing that because we want the solution, we want the projects to trigger the NuGet restore automatically. Right. And those things happen for us now. But you're absolutely right, Carl. You got to force that restore in those older versions. But what this feature in particular really targets is is the circular reference problem, right? Okay. I'm referencing this package that references another package, hmm. and they chase each other's version to make sure that they're appropriately in line with each other. Yeah. We're yeah. going to let the client manage that for us so we don't have to figure out what's compatible and what isn't. Let me ask you a question about Visual Studio 2015 about the experience of it because it seems to me that we're we're sort of getting away from draggy droppy stuff and we're getting into more, you know, uh, config file things and using NuGet for you know getting away from just loading references and assemblies and and loading up all of that kind of stuff. If you're not the kind of person who's ever used NuGet, you know, and you've just you just uh, maybe don't have all those dependencies. Is it going to be a different experience for you, Visual Studio 2015? Do you, in other words, do you expect a lot of pushback from the nine to five developers who aren't, you know, downloading the latest and greatest tools? Wow, that's a big question. Um, 
am I expecting pushback from developers who aren't getting the latest and greatest tools? Not necessarily you as a NuGet guy, but Microsoft in general um, for Visual Studio 2015. Is the experience that different, in other words? Okay, good question. For for the projects and the project systems that I work on, we are definitely hearing it from customers that, you know what? I'm not used to writing this much code. Hmm. Um, you've you've moved some things. It's it, it's a change. Yep. And um, really, what what developers need to understand is the web is changing, mm-hmm. and you need to change to keep up with it. Um, a professor of mine back in college said to me, he said, Jeff, you know, the only constant in this industry <laughs> is change. Yeah, you got that right. And if you're not, if you're not using new tools, if you're not embracing and expanding the types of things that you're bringing into your toolbox to build your applications, to make them smaller, faster, better, mobile enabled, right? Local and social, you're, you're going to fall behind, right? Yeah. So, so yes, we need to, we need to look at bringing in things like Grunt and Gulp and Bower and NPM as a web developer because this is this is where a lot of the web community is moving towards. And they're great tools that we can add in to help make some of those things we were doing with a lot more code that was compiling and running every time a request came in. We can make these tools run and deliver things simpler, easier, and better. Yeah, well said. I, and I think that really needed to be addressed that um... – and not, I'm, you know, not necessarily as from the point of view of the person whose cheese has been moved, but uh, but I do hear that a lot, and and I do hear people uh, coming, kicking and screaming into the future, and you know, it's really just not that bad. It's not, you're just not used to it. That's all. Absolutely, but I I look at it another way here, Carl, and this is this is the point that I don't think many people are are completely seeing the picture around. When we talk about ASP.NET 5, I'm going to pick on that for a minute here. It's completely open source, right? Right. The entire framework is available out there. And a lot of the tooling, not all of the tooling, but a lot of the tooling that gets put into Visual Studio is open source as well. Well, wait a sec. Mm. If I was an organization that knew how to build software and knew how to integrate software, and I've got people that I'm seeing and hearing saying, you know what, I don't... I don't like working directly with Grunt or in Gulp. You know, yeah. I'd really like to work with Bower in a different way. Mm. That's an opportunity. Sure. And I'm not saying that that's not an opportunity that we're not going to take, but yeah. that's an opportunity that other organizations can take to help contribute to the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you're going to see some, you know, tooling and UI around those things from somebody. Who knows? A- absolutely. Yeah. We're not done yet with the ASP.NET 5 story. There's a lot more to come. Yeah. What What is the status of ASP.NET 5? And remember, this is August 11th. This is August 11th. So let me get in my DeLorean and go forward in time. <laughs> a couple of weeks. <laughs> a couple of weeks. So you've been using ASP.NET 5 Beta 6 now for a couple of weeks because it was just released on uh, July 28th. Mm-hmm. And um, there were some great new features in there and we're getting ready for a beta 7 that's scheduled to come out at the end of this month. Great. Just in time for my birthday. And yeah. hopefully I can get 
Richard or somebody related to him to plan my 40th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot tell you how many people at that party said, dude, you've totally screwed me for planning parties. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I turned 40 in a year or two, and there's a dev intersection in the late summer, early spring. Oh, there you go. (laughs) There you go. There's a party. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, so there's a beta 7 coming out here at the end of the month. Um, But the complete roadmap is actually on the ASP.NET GitHub repo. Mm -hmm. So if you go to github.com slash ASP.NET slash home, there's a link to the roadmap in there. It's on the wiki. And you can see there's a couple more betas through the fall here with a release candidate scheduled for November. And the final version, the RTM of ASP.NET 5, is scheduled to go out in Q1 2016. Okay. So we've got, so, a, we've got a ways to go here. It's with, also interesting oh, to think, like, you're not hiding anything here. You're nope. sitting on the website. Anybody can see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wide open. Take a look. Check it out. And, this, and is, uh, this is a really ambitious rewrite. I mean, don't you think? I mean, from from the language to the, all the way down the framework, there's it, a lot of stuff that has been redone. It, Carl, you're absolutely right. Think about it. ASP.NET was built with artifacts from classic ASP. Yeah. Classic ASP came out in 96, 97. Yeah, yeah. So you've got almost 20 years of code and artifacts in ASP.NET that are being rewritten in two or three years here. Mm. And with they're getting all the modern learnings that we've seen through composability and mm. good good design patterns, yeah. the scalability and capabilities that we've learned from other frameworks, competing frameworks, that we can grow and build a better technology on. It's a win. Yeah, there's a lot more to go here. But you guys just shipped, was it, 4.6? Yes. So, great point, Richard. At at the release of Visual Studio 2015, we did release ASP.NET 4.6, an, an update to the uh, ASP.NET 4.5, 4.5.1 uh, string of releases. A um, couple really good things in there for those developers who are still working with ASP.NET 4.5. And that would be pretty to- much everybody, right? <laughs> Okay, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's the ship and product, dude. <laughs> yeah. Compared to, and right, we're, we're in this interesting world here where we have people who are in ASP.NET 4.5 who are saying, okay, I'm going to get on to 5. And they just want to skip over. It's almost a greenfield jump, I mean, depending on what you've used. Exactly. Right? It's a, it, you said it just a few minutes ago. It's a complete rewrite. There's yeah. changes in there. Quite literally, I can say this is not your ASP's server object because the server object from classic ASP is completely different Fine. in yeah. ASP 5. Well, in system.web. So, yes. The system.web um, DLL that was delivered as part of the CLR since version one way yep. back in 2001, 2002 yep. is not referenced by ASP.NET 5. Wow. That's and that's a big change and it's, and it's very on, fundamental. I mean, that's at the top of the line of every one of my ASP.NET apps. Every one of them. Yeah. Yep. Every single one of them uses every single one of the frameworks in ASP.NET, whether it's web forms, web pages, MVC, Web API, SignalR. They all depend at some point on System.Web. 
So I got to, I mean, I've got to think that people are wondering, is 4.6 the last version of system.web? It, it's hard to say. If there's new features that come up that we say, you know what, mm, yeah, we really should get this back into system.web, um, then there'll be a new a new version. But the the goal at this point is to say, let's let's start off this ASP.NET 5 framework and get that up to speed and lightning fast with the tremendous capabilities that we know our development environment, our development ecosystem loves. Right. Well, and one that clearly I'm just looking at the conversations going on on the on the GitHub site. Look, they're, they're participating in like yes, lots of discussion here. And it's not just the ASP.NET team. Yeah, there is tremendous engagement with with a lot of people who have a vested interest in ASP.NET 5. And it's great to see. And I, as somebody who watches most of those repositories and gets that chatter in my email box every morning, sure. it's it's really neat to see, I mean, out and out arguments over little things like naming methods, namespaces, how those are named. Um, people really have a have a passion about how their framework, their web framework is going to be developed and deployed. Nice. And I, I love being a part of it. I really do. Hey, Fun. Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is. Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to announce a new Mail Stripper STD checkup scheduler app for the lewd candy bar companies. Guess what it's called? What? Any guesses? Uh, the NuGet Package Manager. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say NudeGet? Is that what you said? You didn't say that. No, no lewd candy bar companies. That's how lewd I get See what I did there? <laughs> oh. It's actually time to give away a music to code by music and video set to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won, music to code by is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized quiet and groovy instrumentals specifically designed to promote focus. It will get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with music to code by. Just check it out. Check out the comments at mtcb.pwop.com. You're hey, a um, I, yeah. You're a music to code by fan, aren't you, Jeff? Absolutely. I participated in the Kickstarter, yeah, and I went out and got the the four most recent add-on tracks here before I flew out to the office mm -hmm. in uh, in Washington. And you know what? The whole time on the plane, I had music to code by in my ears, and I'm I'm writing blog posts. I'm I'm writing a couple other uh, pieces of content here, and I I didn't even know that six hours went by when when we got done and landed it that the only thing that so reminded awesome. me was uh, oh yeah here comes the girl with the cart and more soda <laughs> that's so awesome well uh anyway there you go so uh, check it out at mtcb.pwop.com for more information so who's our winner buddy today's winner is joel cogley congratulations joel golf clap for you sir golf clap for you sir yeah Joel just won the Music to Code by Audio Collection and Video, which is a uh, a Blu-ray DVD video, two-hour video that I made uh, about the making of Music to Code by. Uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. 
Okay, Jeff, it's your turn. If you Uh-oh. had five grand to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? So I've got to I've got to make a, a shout out here. Something that that's kind of near and dear to me. Um, there's a Kickstarter out there from my friend Sarah Chips. Mm-hmm. Oh called, my God, I love this Kickstarter. But say no more. It's <laughs> the name of her company is Jewel Bots. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what this is is programmable jewelry for girls. They're they're the friendship bracelets of the 21st century. Yeah. So you can program these things within art. They have an Arduino inside the bracelet and you can program it with your phone or if you want to get to the next level, you can program it with a PC. But you can have it light up and buzz and whatever when the girls come close to each other or they press a button on it. There's all kinds of neat things they can do with it. So I would take my $5,000 and I would I would buy the top of the line pledge they have at, mm. at the time of this. I'm the when the uh, podcast the time the shows here, out, the closed. Kickstarter should be over. But they've yeah. already blown their goal away yeah. by four times, yep. five yep. times, and that yep. was two weeks ago from this airing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would get the top of the line one here, which is a a five pack of these uh, of these bracelets. Now I have two young daughters, nine and eleven, mm. and my eleven year old has been learning how to program Minecraft add ons with Java. And wow. As a PM who works on Visual Studio, that doesn't make me all too happy. But, slightly tormented uh, about that whole thing. I can get that. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that, that they're both interested and involved and, and really exploring those STEM fields, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is so up their alley. They would be so excited to do it. A five pack means they can give one to one of their friends mm-hmm. and mom gets to keep one too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And they well in the five for the five grand you also get a private training session too, fantastic. Yeah, so yeah you do do a workshop and stuff with them. I I just it's uh, and there's a quote from Wired that this is like the most interesting wearable project they've ever seen. Mm. Right, it is a wearable, yeah. but it's not it's not pretentious at all. Right, it's no, distinctly feminine. It's unique and creative. Like anybody could get involved with this. Works with your phone. I just I I'm so impressed by the project. I, I don't even need to say, you know, yeah. I hope them all the best success because they, they've clearly killed it. They've they hit a market it. that's important. People are all over it. I'll include a link to the show to jewelbots.com. So, because by the time you heard this, the Kickstarter's order and you're going to just have to order it like regular mortals. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you've got girls over the age, they're going to want these things. This, this could be the hot new Christmas present. I brilliant, swear. Brilliant, Sarah. Just brilliant. Sarah, pure awesome. Very cool. If you just Very bought cool. jewel bots for five grand, how many of them could you get? Like that is an interesting thought. Right? So I think the price they were looking at was fifty. I think about sixty bucks a shot, right? Mm. So, right. So what is that? Eighty-five of them. <laughs> <laughs> you cover the world in jewel bots. There you go. Absolutely. I love it. Great call, man. Yeah, great I, call. It, I'm so excited with what's going on there. It's just the cleverest thing in the world. And if it gets more my, folks engaged, I'm all over it. My daughters already are saying we want to have a a party when they when they arrive, so that we can have our friends come over and all learn how to program them together. That's yeah. so cool. I'm definitely going to do the same. Yeah. Hey, um, I I think I'm the one to ask you about this because I really need to ask Richard about it as well. The Humanitarian oh. Toolbox event of the Visual Studio 2015 launch. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on a previous show, but 
But tell me from your perspective, uh, Jeff, how did that go and what was it all about? Oh, man. It, this was a lot of fun. Um, I've been in a couple hackathons before, but this was my first uh, with Microsoft, which was kind of interesting, doing a hackathon through Microsoft. But for Humanitarian Toolbox, I mean, that's a great effort, a great organization. And uh, about a, two, three weeks before Visual Studio launched, um, everybody got together in, in the one building here on campus, and they went through, and we, we built this this simple app, but it, it helps to collect volunteers to work towards a, a nonprofit organization's uh, appropriate recruiting goal. Um, simple topic in concept, but when you go to implement it with multi-tenant capabilities and you want it to scale and have geolocation built into it, right. we had some some interesting challenges, and the whole thing was deployed to Azure with ASP.NET 5, even in its beta, and it ran great. I got to be the remote guy that that was working on this. So I worked from my home just outside of Philadelphia, co uh, cooperating with the team all in one room here in Seattle, in Redmond, to uh, work together and build out this application. It, it was tremendous fun. And the uh, the event itself, what was it? Was it a was it announced at a keynote or something, or what was the uh, what was the event like? Oh, so um, the event was it it was quiet up until the uh, the Visual Studio launch day, and on launch day, it was a, a series of videos that we uh, that they produced from those three days that mm -hmm. we were hacking and coding together. And uh, it was all presented on Channel Nine as a as a series right after the the keynote that really introduced the features, and that series of videos showed uh, some of the principles in the project, including Mr. Campbell um, answering questions and talking about what a great experience it was to build this app for Humanitarian Toolbox. Yeah, there's a, there's a weird duality in there of I mean I'm obviously excited about Studio 2015 as well and. And this was a, a different approach to a sample app. I mean, I, and I'm glad to not have another Fabricam or Fitcher Mather. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, something else. Um, Wasted brain cells. Well, mm. you know, you want examples of how to do things. And you've taken on a lot of stuff with this. I mean, it's the, it is the ASP.NET VNext stack. It's also Cordova. You know, the, one of the points yeah. here was if you're going to – the thing that – and our sponsor – so HTBox is just an organization for building open source projects for for – uh, disaster response organizations. Mm. In this case, the sponsor, the folks that are our cornerstone, is the Red Cross, um, an amazing organization. And, and you know, it's, it's small. It's not just the big things, the the hurricanes and things like that. It's the house fires. Yeah, just a house fire. Like they go, they have volunteers that go to every house fire and provide help, the uh, blankets and teddy bears and and the right phone numbers to call on on what you're going to need now that your house is burned. It's a, it's not a small thing, and they really get what it takes to facilitate volunteers. And I think it's a core part of what was being done in that software is people want to work from their phones. You you're offering to install smoke detectors in people's homes. Right? This is the initial yeah. use case we were talking about. The scenarios we've got donated uh, smoke detectors. We've got homes that don't have them. That having a smoke detector could save a life. And then we have volunteer firemen and, and other folks that know how and where a smoke detector should be installed. And they, they're willing to donate a Saturday 
to do installations? Can we get the software to allow them to use their phone to lead them to the places where those smoke detectors are needed that are nearby them that sort of, so they can spend most of their time actually helping people and not dealing with being a volunteer? Yeah. Yeah, we really made that volunteer process as easy and streamlined as possible. And you're right. We built a Cordova app that used the same APIs that we built for the web app. So it was it was nice and streamlined, easy for us as developers to get in, work with our responsive web frameworks and our, our JavaScript APIs that we enjoy, like Angular, and build something in two different environments very, very quickly. It was great. And now the question is, are we going to see you doing some work now that it's moved over to us? So the initial development was done internal to Microsoft. The project's now been scrubbed and gone through legal, and it has landed in the HTBox uh, GitHub repository. Are yep. we going to see you doing some check-ins there, Mr. Fritz? Absolutely. I've I've got a couple projects i got to get through here in August and September, but yeah, there's going to be some check-ins from me. Absolutely. So. I've got some unfinished business in that data model that I want to go back and clean up. <laughs> oh, so you take it personally too. <laughs> oh, damn straight. I'm not going to let that sit out there. <laughs> I love it. Well, and and funny thing is, you know, that pro those three days, that crazy time that you guys worked like mad and made the videos and so forth. I mean, that was very much on and company time and so on. From here on out, it's a volunteer effort. And Microsoft has this amazing program where when their employees volunteer an hour, an hour of their time, however they do it, and this could be painting fences for, for uh, um, Habitat for Humanity or loading, uh, sorting food at a food bank or writing code for already at, uh, for Humanitarian Toolbox, the charity in question receives $25 for each of those hours. So yep. that's that's built in. Microsoft does that. If yep. you you submit the hours that you put into your charitable effort, and they send that charity a check. So apart from the the Cordova stuff, was there anything new in ASP.NET five that you used that uh, you that would have been a lot more difficult before? Um, so I was I was really focused on the data model. So I I was knee deep in Entity Framework seven mm -hmm. and the new capabilities that have come along there. And it it really it feels like the 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 next step up for Entity Framework, um, the, the ability for us to work with generating our tables out in uh, out in the database, saving off those migrations. The, I'm no longer um, I'm no longer kept inside of that PowerShell console inside of Visual Studio. I now have a real command line tool that I can use even at continuous integration time to generate and work with those entity framework tools that previously, like I said, you were stuck inside of Visual Studio. Right. Um, it, it was nice to be able to learn and work with those tools, but it, 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 was, it really was the, the next step for them. But there are still some features that, that we struggled with that aren't quite yet in Entity framework yet that were in previous versions, and in particular, I'm thinking of the geography uh, data types. They're not they're not there yet in the Entity Framework Seven, but it's still a beta, right? So we got we, we got pretty far with this, and and we had to do some tricks to make the geography stuff work. But um, I, I was pretty happy with the the development experience. Oh, that's cool, man. I mean, it's a lot of new bits and a lot of moving parts, but uh, it's coming along. You, to be at a beta like that and be able to deliver a, a full working application really says a lot about how far they've come at this point. 
Yeah, no kidding. Well, betas are getting a funnier and funnier concept these days, especially when all the development's done in the public eye. Yeah, it it really has. Um, it, I mean, I've heard people say, well, beta should be feature complete. You, everything should be done. It's just you're doing bug fixes. Mm. Well, well, that was sort of the original notion of a beta, wasn't it? Yeah, but in in today's world where everything is out in the open, I mean, you could say some things are, are pretty close to production ready, mm-hmm. but other very large segments of the framework, eh, they're alpha or beta quality, but as a whole, it's beta. It's, right. it's it's weird. It's I, I understand why they're calling it beta, but I, I also understand why people say that's not beta quality. So yeah, no, I I, I totally understand that, and it's just it, we've been put put pressure on the name beta for quite a while now. You it, know, going back to Gmail. I was going to say, isn't Gmail still in beta? <laughs> that was the one. That was the most visible. Yeah. What the hell's a beta mean anyway? Yeah, you know, maybe it had to be there for legal reasons or something. You I don't know. know. Oh, it's, it's really beta. We can't. We're not responsible well, for problems. Actually, did you guys see Google Plus came out of beta yet? I didn't know that. Yeah, and they're that shutting would be it down. Twentieth. Did anybody? <laughs> that would be July twenty seventh. So they took it out of beta to turn it off. That's right. <laughs> Is that what happens with, micro- with Google Microsoft? When Google takes stuff out of beta. Oh, um, Freudian slip. Jeff, what's <laughs> next for you, man? So I'm uh, – things are going to be quiet here for me for a, a month or so, thankfully, now that we've released both Visual Studio and Windows. Um, but I'll be speaking at a uh, conference in Las Vegas in September. Never and, heard of uh, it. Yeah, not one in October. And uh, I'll be at the MVP <laughs> Summit in November. Awesome. We'll see you there. We'll have a lot of fun, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks and, a lot, guys. I and, appreciate it. And maybe we'll see you on your birthday. What? Maybe. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Watch out. Now that Richard knows, your your ass is grass, my friend. Um, <laughs> I think there's a couple bottles of uh, Pennsylvania whiskey that I got to bring along next time I see you guys. Pennsylvania <laughs> whiskey? That's Pennsylvania whiskey. rye. That's crazy talk. <laughs> Those brown liquors, they're bad for you. <laughs> Mm. All right, we'll see you next time, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.